It's a Saturday morning coming up to 745, which means it's time for another wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Hi there, Demi. How are things? Uh, things are great, and I hope things are great with you and all of those folks at Haskell's. I was mentioning uh, earlier this morning when I went on that it was this day, 1920, the 18th yes. Amendment <laughs> took effect. <laughs> Went into effect. Minnesota gave it. This day, 1920, the 18th yes. Amendment <laughs> took effect. <laughs> Went into effect. Minnesota gave it, that, the Volstead Act. Oh, yes. Named after our congressman, Mr. Volstead. And uh, that was uh, in 1920, and fortunately, 14 years later, they had the good sense to repeal it. <laughs> yes, the 21st Amendment, yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, what, uh, what, what, what can we talk about today? Today, I thought I'd do one of my favorite things. He's been piling up for a long time. I don't think, I think it's over a year. Answered some wine questions. You know, I get a ton of them, and uh, we usually don't have enough time on the air, so... Today I've picked out a few, and I hope if I've missed your particular question, please resubmit. I always answer them personally anyway, but I think some of these deserve a little public uh, information on them because a lot of people have the same question and don't answer it. I get this question is probably the number one question I get. What's my favorite wine? Well, whatever is in my glass at the time. I guess totally... Besides that fact, uh, I'm a Burgundian, and I appreciate the red and white wines of Burgundy. In my opinion, Burgundy, which is an area in France, uh, has the greatest expression of Chardonnay in the world, and the same thing with Pinot Noir. Those are the only two grape types uh, that they use in uh, Burgundy. Uh, that's not quite true. There's a few others, but uh, very, very insignificant. If you have a white wine from Burgundy, you got a 99% chance it's Chardonnay. And if you have a red wine from Burgundy, you have a 99% chance that it's Pinot Noir. And it's they do the best in the world, in my opinion, of expressing those two grape types. And then the, the rest of the world produces great Chardonnay and great Pinot Noir. Don't misunderstand me. But my favorite it comes actually from Burgundy. Another person wrote, I put ice in my wine, and everyone seems to make fun of me. What do you think? Well, I think it's your glass, and you can do whatever you want with it. Ice in the wine, there's nothing wrong with that. It does dilute the wine, and that's if you want to do that, that's okay, too. Or you can buy those ice cubes that don't melt. Uh, they're little blocks of metal, etc. You put them in the freezer, and they last for a long time, and you can put those in your glass, and then you're not diluting it. But uh, that comes another question. What's the proper temperature for drinking wine? Well, unfortunately, we all drink wine way, way too warm. A good temperature for a red wine is between 65 and 70 degrees. And as I'm sure everybody knows they keep their house at 72, and they keep the wine and maybe in the kitchen or someplace kind of warm, that, that red wine you're drinking is going to be warmer than 70 degrees. So it never hurts to put a little chill on a red wine. As a matter of fact, if the wine is under $25 a bottle, a little chill very often is beneficial. And with uh, white wines, between 45 and 55 degrees is the proper temperature for a white wine. Now you can achieve that by putting that white wine 
in a bucket of ice and water and letting it sit there for about 10 minutes, spinning it once in a while, and you'll get perfect temperature. Otherwise, you can put the wine in the refrigerator for about 25 minutes, lay it down on a lower shelf in the refrigerator, and leave it for 25 minutes, and usually that'll achieve the proper temperature. But those are the right temperatures, 65 and 70 for a red wine, 45 to 55 for a white wine. Uh, are rosé wines just for summer? Absolutely not. Rosé wines should be enjoyed anytime. I know that the other night we were uh, with some friends, and uh, it, when it came time to order an aperitif, both of them ordered a rosé wine. And I think it's a wonderful aperitif. I very often have one myself. Uh, they set the stage for your palate, in my opinion, and they go very nicely, usually with hors d'oeuvres. Uh, and it definitely is not just a summer wine. It's certainly year-round, and we're seeing more of, more of that. And then the other question, what's the best rosé? Well, that really depends on your own palate. Do you like a rosé on the sweeter side? Do you like it bone dry? What do you like? What uh, rosé is best? Actually, the Provence area of France is known for its rosés. They produce a lot of wine in Provence, but the most popular and the best one is their rosé. Very, very high quality, usually quite dry. In fact, I remember once many years ago, uh, my good friend Alexis Lachine's son, Sasha Lachine, called me and he said, I've got a rosé for $100 a bottle. And I said, well, good, you'll have it for a long time. Well, how wrong was I? He sold it around the world, and recently Louis Vuitton, Moet, that big conglomerate of fancy products that it recently just bought Tiffany's in the United States, also bought his Whispering Angel and his $100 rosé that I laughed about 20 years ago, and he was just uh, much more insightful than I was and had good foresight to get on the rosé bandwagon, actually maybe to start the rosé bandwagon. But those rosés are wonderful. My personal favorite to have of rosés is something called Tavelle. We have one called Royal Tavelle. It's under $20 a bottle, and it is marvelous. And Tavelle is an area in the Rhone Valley that produces nothing but rosé. That's right. Nothing but rosé. That's all they make in this little area of Tavelle. And in my opinion, the best way to describe it, it's a rosé wine for red wine drinkers. It's more full-bodied. I'll never forget the first time I had a glass of Tavelle. We were in Monte Carlo, and we had a, a lovely lunch with a salad niçoise. Uh, you know, this is back in 1971. Uh, I didn't know what salad niçoise was. I certainly didn't know an awful lot about wine. And the waiter recommended Tavelle, and the marriage was perfect. And ever since then, both my wife and myself have been big fans of Tavelle Rosé, which I am very fond of. Uh, how does wine get its name? Well, actually it gets a lot of different ways. Geography is one of them. Burgundy is a region. Champagne is a region. Chianti is a region. They get their name from the area. In the United States, Frank Sunmacher and Alexis Lachine, friends of mine early on, pushed and pushed and pushed for the United States, particularly California, to name their wines for after the varietal instead of copying French names or Italian names. They used to get jug wine called Chianti 
or you get uh, uh, white wine called Chablis, etc. And, and of course, it was nothing like Chablis, and it was nothing like Chianti, and nothing like Burgundy. And eventually, uh, with the help of Bob Mondavi, they began to label them with a varietal name. Thus, we have wines called Cabernet, Zinfandel, uh, Syrah, etc. And uh, the those names also can be fantasy names. Leafbrow milk, which, the wine that literally translates virgin mother's milk. Now, of course, it's virtually an impossibility, but it, it's very romantic. And the idea was they used to ask this Stifusen guy in Germany, how come his wine uh, that he sold in barrels at the time, didn't even bottle it, uh, was so much better, and he said it's the milk of the virgin, leafbrow milk, because uh, the vineyards abutted a beautiful little church, and that's the name. Another one is an Italian wine called Est Est Est. Well, how did he get that name? Some Again, a German bishop who was traveling to Rome for some reason sent ahead his steward, and he was to mark where the wine and food was good, put an Est there, and he stopped at some place, about 200 miles north of Rome, and wrote Est, Est, Est. Uh, that's how good the wine was in the food, and thus that wine from Italy, Est, 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 today is very popular and still called Est, Est, Est. Well, I had a wine about a week ago called L'Enfant Jesus, the baby Jesus. And there again is a fantasy name. Some guy in bone had made the best bone they Everyone raved about it, and he said, well, it's my little Jesus in velvet pants, whatever that meant. And thus the wine adopted the name Enfant Jesus. It just is a wonderful wine, a big, bold red wine. If you ever get an opportunity to try it, it's one of my favorite wines of the bone, Enfant Jesus. Uh, this is an interesting question. What's the difference between Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris? Nothing. It's the exact same grape type. The difference is in the style. Pinot Grigio is made in a lighter, high-acidity, crispier style, and Pinot Grigio comes mainly from Italy. On Pinot Gris, it's more full-bodied, spicier, and it's much heavier in the mouth, and that comes from France. Pinot Gris originally came from Burgundy, moved up into the Alsace region of France, and was popular in that part. Of course, Pinot Grigio was very popular all over Italy. And we make a, a wonderful Pinot Gris in Oregon, which is a combination, in my opinion, of Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris. It has the richness of Pinot Gris from Alsace and the fruitiness of the Italian Pinot Grigio. So look for an Oregon Pinot Gris for a really interesting and delightful experience if you like that. But... Uh, the real difference, as I said, is in the style the wine is made. Genetically, Pinot Gris and Pinot Gris are exactly the same thing. And here was an interesting question, I thought. Is white Zinfandel rosé? Yes, indeed. It is a rosé. It was a marketing uh, idea of the Trinchero family. Uh, they had an awful lot of Zinfandel that wasn't selling. White wines were selling, red wines weren't. They decided to make a blush wine out of the, their Zinfandel, and they called it White Zinfandel, but it actually was a rosé. And it really set the bar for a long time for wines. In fact, uh, the popularity of White Zinfandel 
uh, some people say decimated the German wine industry because um, inexpensive German wines went out of style right away as whites and Fondel uh, increased in popularity. And that may happen now with rosés. Rosés are so popular that while White Zinfandel, particularly Sutter Home, sells millions of cases, it isn't what it used to be sales-wise. And the reason is so many of these rosés are taking in. Here's one of my favorite questions. I get this a lot. I was in Europe, and we drank wine every night, etc. I felt like a million dollars the next morning. When I do that here at home, I have a terrible headache. What's the reason? Guilt. Simple <laughs> guilt. When you're on vacation, you're, you're on holiday. You're enjoying yourself. You, when you get home here and you've had just a little too much to drink, it bothers you. So you feel guilty about it. There is no difference. The wines are exactly the same. Uh, I always tell people my favorite story is somebody had a little pichette, a little pitcher of wine at a lovely French restaurant. It was the best wine they ever had in their life. Well, I submit they were in Paris. They were with somebody they loved, or thought they loved for the moment anyway. <laughs> they were having an omelet as only the French could make it. It was a beautiful evening. The wine was fabulous. Of course, why wouldn't it be? But I guarantee you that same red pichette of wine in the harsh fluorescent light of your kitchen with your significant other in a bad mood is not going to taste that wonderful. <laughs> so remember when you're drinking wine, you're drinking the ambiance and the setting too. That's a big part of wines. What about sulfites? Every wine has sulfites in it. Even the ones that say no sulfites, there's a small amount of sulfite that's used in the preparation of wine. The best way to get rid of sulfites is to have somebody who's not allergic decant back and forth about four times the wine you're going to have. And that decanting dissipates the sulfites into the air. And then you can drink the wine with no problem at all. Uh, it's nothing to take lightly. Sulfite allergies are very, very serious. But uh, like I say, every wine has sulfites in. And if you, if you do that decanting, and speaking of decanting, is that good? Yes, indeed. Decanting is good for anyone. Aerating the wine is always a good thing, and certainly when you decant it, you're aerating it. And can you recommend a good, affordable Pinot Noir? Try Fog Mountain Pinot Noir. It is absolutely wonderful. And you know what, Denny? You can get that Fog Mountain Pinot Noir at Haskell's. Excellent. And a lot of locations, too. Tell us where you're located, Jack. We're located in Bloomington, Excelsior, Faribault, Maple Grove, our super cellar up there, 22,000 square feet of vineyards of the world. Downtown Minneapolis has free parking on Saturdays and Sundays. There's a Haskell's at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come in, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, Haskell's does deliver, and we also have a wonderful out will call where you can just call and pick your order up outside. It's all available at Haskell's. And incidentally, our wonderful winter sale ends this Sunday, the 17th. So come on in, stock up. It is a fabulous seller. Sales at four-year seller. Very good, John.